Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball. 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this in the mobile Sully Baseball studio, also known as my car, driving from Burbank, California, the birthplace of former Atlanta Braves catcher Biff Pokoroba, and towards Pasadena, California, the place that Jackie Robinson called home. Hey, I'm in Southern California. I'm in my car. Uh, I, I'm driving along, and I'm, I'm in that mindset. It's like, hey, maybe it's time to do a podcast. You know, what else do you do? What am I going to call someone that's late? What am I going to turn on the radio? It's football. I don't care. I'm in my car I'm in Southern California going back and forth and back and forth between the Silicon Valley and Los Angeles County. The two places, if you're not from California, you just think, well, that's California. You got San Francisco. You got the part of San Francisco. You know, they, they, most people think the Silicon Valley is San Francisco. And so that's where they make all the computers. And then you've got Hollywood and Los Angeles, of which everyone thinks that's the same thing. And that's it. But there's a lot to this. I mean, do you want most of this state is flat, kind of, you know, farmland with farmers and growing strawberries. And, and, and basically, if you eat food in America, you're eating stuff that we grew here. We. Like, I'm a goddamn garlic farmer in Gilroy. Sorry, anyone who doesn't like me saying that word. But, no, this is a big state with lots of teams and lots of sports franchises and niches and natches and little things like that. Now, I've talked a bunch about San Diego recently. Uh, you know, they're in the news, obviously. The, 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 the Chargers have left, and, and San Diego is now the only baseball-only city in, in Major League Baseball. Is that strange when you think about that? Because, you know, football, there's a bunch of football-only cities. Uh, Green Bay is one, and Jacksonville's another. Um, maybe there's another one I'm not thinking about. It used to be New Orleans, but New Orleans has, uh, uh, has the Pelicans now. <clears throat> there's a bunch of hockey teams that are, you know, only hockey in that city. I mean, the, uh, a lot of them in Canada, you know, Calgary, Winnipeg. Uh, Vancouver, uh, San Jose is one, uh, where the Carolina Hurricanes, they're the only one in that city. There's other teams in Carolina. Uh, I'm sure there's another one I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. And basketball is loaded with them. Basketball is such an interesting league because there are so many cities that are basketball only. Portland, Salt Lake City, Utah, Orlando, Memphis. Uh, San Antonio. You know, these are the the only game in town, and that's you know that makes basketball unique. But now San Diego. Now we've we've talked about the fact that you know in terms of a team, the Padres stupidly went for it a few years ago, and 
now they're trying to tear apart the team that they stupidly went for it. And and some of the stuff they've been doing has been pretty smart. They made a deal dealing away James Shields, Matt Kemp. Uh, they got a bunch of good young players for the Red Sox, for uh, Kimbrel. You know, they had to do it. They had to do that. And, and the fact of the matter is, is they're going to probably not be very good this upcoming season. Uh, I do think San Francisco is still a 90-win team. I still think Los Angeles is a 90-win team. I think those two teams are still the best. Uh, and I think that uh, Los Angeles has such pressure on them right now to win a championship and not have this run with the, the best pitcher in baseball and Clayton Kershaw and have, that, have him come and go and not even sniff a World Series. But I was thinking about something the other day, which is kind of strange. You know that there are franchises that in the past, if you wanted to improve your fortunes as a pitcher, you went to this team or that. For years it was Atlanta, with Leo Mazzoni as the coach. Uh, if you wanted to improve your, your standing, you went to Atlanta and you, know, you played alongside a bunch of Hall of Famers with, you know, Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox. But, you know, you saw pitchers turn their careers around and then cash in. You know, you saw, like, the Kevin Millwoods, you saw the, but like, specifically, like, the Denny Nagels and the Chris Hammonds of the world would come in and suddenly put together an all-star season and then skedaddle as a free agent and make more money than you can ever imagine. And, and there you go. The Cardinals were that way for a while, too. There were all these rehabilitation projects coming through St. Louis. You know, I mean, remember when they won the World Series in 2006 and they won it on the backs of pitchers like Jeff Supon and Jeff Weaver, who were, you know, castaways not long before that? And then they, you know, they translated that into big bucks. You know, speaking of bucks, uh, the Pirates were that way for a while. That You went to Pittsburgh and the Pirates found a way to rehabilitate pitchers for a while there, and if they want to have a chance to get back to the postseason after a down year in 2016, uh, you know, it would behoove they get back into the practice of that. But I was thinking about, you know, San Diego should be a place, should be a haven if you're a pitcher, because it's a it's a great pitcher's ballpark, it's a, you know, you don't, you don't get easy home runs out of there unless you're Bartolo Colon who hit his only home run into the uh, <clears throat> into the warehouse in San Diego. And you have, and if you play in the NL West, yeah, you got to go to Colorado, you know, for, what, eight or nine games a year. But, you know, you also get a bunch of games at AT&T Park. You get a bunch of games at Dodger Stadium. You know, it, it, it favors a pitcher. But I was thinking about this the other day when I saw that Will Myers was going to sign, and I'm not 100% sure if it's official yet or not, uh, may or may not be by the time I drop this podcast, not sure when this one's going in, but Will Myers looks like he's going to sign a six-year contract extension with the San Diego Padres, and he had a big year last year, a big power year, a big stolen base year. He's still only in his mid-twenties, and they're, they're signing him for his prime. He's going to spend his prime 
under control of the Padres. Now, whether that means he spends the whole time with the Padres, that's a different can of tomatoes. You know, he could be trade bait before you know it, and all of a sudden you got, oh, we got these years of Will Myers. But he is a player who has been a, he was a huge prospect in Kansas City and was traded in the controversial trade from KC to Tampa right around the time I was starting the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. If you've been following this podcast, and I know I have, you know some of the early topics was that trade, a trade that I defended from Kansas City's point of view where they were being torn apart uh, because they dealt Will Myers, Jake Odorizzi, and a couple other players for James Shields, Wade Davis, and a couple of players. Those were the main pieces in the deal. And I defended the trade from Kansas City's point of view, basically saying, look it, yes, I know Will Myers was the minor league player of the year and looked like was a surefire superstar for Kansas City. But he was still an unproven commodity. He was still not a major league player. He probably was major league ready, but he was not a proven commodity. It was, and I knew that James Shields, while not a Cy Young candidate, was a solid major league pitcher. Not an ace, but someone who said, this guy's going to give us 200 some on innings and be a good, solid pitcher. And I said that if you could get a pitcher of that caliber in exchange and, and another pitcher in Wade Davis who looked like could be, I don't know, a fourth or fifth starter, in exchange for commodities who were not yet proven on the major league level, I said you had to make that deal. That that was imperative to make that deal. And I think that history has proven that to be correct. That having James Shields was a big part of what helped turn the team around. Now, he only played two seasons in Kansas City, but they went to the World Series, and they got to within one swing of winning the World Series in 2014. And, of course, Wade Davis became an invaluable reliever, which was, you know, he flopped as a starter in 2013, so they put him in the pen, and he he was unhittable and wound up being the guy on the mound with his arms up in the air when the Royals beat the Mets for the first championship they ever won that was not aided by a ridiculously bad call at first base. You know, the Royals now have a championship where they don't say, yeah, but the uh, you, there's a blown call. Nope, they got it. George Brett can do whatever he wants in his pants now. And there you go. And I did feel at the time, if you go back listen to those podcasts, I defended it. But I also said there was the big risk because Myers could turn out to be a superstar. And it sure looked like that may have been the case when he was the rookie of the year, his first year in Tampa. But then there were some injuries and some bad productivity. And the next thing you know, he ended up in San Diego. And in last year, in 20. 16, his second year in San Diego, he had his best overall season, of which the people who were complaining about the deal, the James Shields trade, 
could look up and say, this is the player they're expecting to see. I found it to be so, I, I don't want, I don't know if the word is ironic, but it's uh, interesting that he and James Shields wound up as teammates briefly in San Diego, but that's neither here nor there. So San Diego became the place where Will Myers got his groove, where he became the player that people thought he was going to become. And that's unusual because it's not a hitter's ballpark. It's unusual because it's not a place where you would think a hitter would blossom. You would think it would be a place where a pitcher would blossom. But what I find interesting is that this is the third time, just as I'm driving, that this has happened. That a player with tremendous expectations, of which gets bounced around through a couple of organizations, finally reaches their potential or shows the potential that everyone saw initially while wearing a San Diego Padre uniform. In other words, like those pitchers who blossomed in Atlanta, in San, in St. Louis, and in Pittsburgh, these hitters found, you know, reached, got, got to see what people were so excited about while wearing the SD on their hat. The first one that came to mind was, and the, the, the two other examples I'm going to give were not only Ballyhooed prospects, but were first picks overall for teams that you probably forgot they were ever picked by. Phil Nevin. Remember Phil Nevin? He was the number one pick overall by Houston. And he just got passed around like the collection plate from organization to organization. He was the Astros picked over once overall, number one overall. And he, he played a handful of games in Houston. He was dealt to Detroit. He was passed around, kicked around from organization to organization. And looked like he was going to be a classic example of a number one overall pick that was a flop. And there's a lot of them in baseball. Like, look at that. Can you believe they picked him number one overall? What the hell were they thinking? But then Phil Nevin ended up in San Diego in the mid-2000s and found his bat. Suddenly, we saw the person that everyone was talking about. That, that this guy who was bounced around and looked like he was a complete flopperino became the good, solid slugger that was number one overall. Became an all-star. Became a, became a player that you could rely on. And did that not with the Astros, not with the Tigers... Not with any other organization he belonged to, but did it in San Diego. And he wound up ending up in Minnesota, and then his career kind of faded off. I think he's a coach somewhere now. But it's interesting that you don't expect, you know, if you want to go, you know, as a hitter, you want to go to a place that you will find your groove. You think it would be Texas. You think it would be Boston. You think it would be Colorado. Not in Petco. But that's exactly what happened with him. 
you know, if you can't list them as one of the great, you if you pick someone number one overall and they play for you know decades some odd in the majors or like an all star team, well, you know, you even if it was a look at the Padres need an all star representative on the all star team, you still you're still a major leaguer. You know, you're still someone who had a good career. And he found that in San Diego. But the biggest example, and the, like the, the one that really hit me, was another former number one overall pick. That was Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez was the number one overall pick by the Marlins. I have a strong suspicion that you forgot that, that he was ever in the Marlins organization. Number one overall. Packaged him off to Texas to get you get Urbina. Now Urbina, on the positive side, became the uh, closer for the Marlins and got the final out to clinch the 2003 Division Series and pennant was the guy on the mound on Wrigley Field when the Marlins made the big jump to New York. That's on his positive side. On the negative side, he was arrested, and I'm, as far as I know, was still in jail for trying to murder someone with a machete. Those are highs and lows in your life. I'm sure when he's an old man, I said, what was the best moment of your life? I don't know, probably being on the mound in Wrigley Field, winning the pennant. Yeah, that was great. Was there any low points? I don't know. Trying to murder someone with a machete? Like Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now? Yeah, that was a low light. That was a low light. But Adrian Gonzalez got bounced to the Rangers organization. And then some found his way to uh, the Texas Rangers. And in, uh, the Rangers organization found his way to the San Diego Padres, is what I meant to say. I'm not even going to cut that out. I'm driving. And in San Diego... What happened? The player who was the number one pick overall, who's being bounced around from organization to organization, became an MVP candidate. Became a legit all-star. Became a big, huge power hitter. Coveted. Eventually traded to the Red Sox. And, you know, it's funny. His time with the Red Sox, he actually put up some really good numbers didn't exactly dare himself to the fans, but wound himself, wound up being part of the uh, big trade to L.A. that opened up a lot of payroll, and next thing you know, you know, he's in L.A. being one of the, the big power hitters on the aforementioned Dodger team. But where did he get his groove? Where did he find his swing? He found his swing in San Diego. So, I guess what I'm saying is this. If you're a first baseman or a slugger who's not quite reached their potential, I kept thinking about poor Matt Laporta, who was the big, big slugger or, or you know, who was in the CC Sabathia trade 
and was going to be the big, you know, the big name in Cleveland in that trade. He never quite he had tons of talent, but never quite fit, never quite came together. Or maybe I got another one for you, Jesus Montero, Jesus Montero, who was supposed to be the next great hitter for the Yankees, and he was t- traded away for Pineda. And then he was supposed to be a big thing in the Marlins, and he got really fat, and some threw an ice cream sandwich at him, and nothing quite worked out. Go to San Diego, buddy. If you're a player where saying, geez, I have all this potential, but I don't quite have a home, go to San Diego. First of all, San Diego is nice. But also, you'll find your groove. You'll find your swing. And then you'll cash in somewhere else. So as the city of San Diego begins to live life as a baseball-only city, and the Chargers, whose you know, first move was to say, we're going to L.A., which pissed off San Diego fans and Los Angeles fans were completely indifferent to, and their second act was to unveil their new logo, which was the worst. Uh, whoever, whoever did that really is like, oh, boy, we really thought this was going to be nice. Uh, no, it was a disaster. San Diego will eventually be a pennant contender because all teams eventually turn it around. And maybe they'll even find their way into a World Series. And if they do, I have a feeling it will be filled with a lot of reclamation projects, like Will Myers, of the players who have a ton of potential, but found that swing in San Diego. It's not a bad place to be. Well, I'm now pulling up out of the highway and heading towards Pasadena, thinking about San Diego. You know, like you do. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast from the mobile Sully Baseball Studio. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.